This is the day that the Lord has made. All right, I was going to just test the general age of the audience by, by that. By the, golly, Josh, you're not this tall, dude. All right. Hey, I'm Buddy Sampson. Brandon, I appreciate that brief introduction. It is strange as I watched people rolling in. I was like, oh, somebody I know. Don't know them. Don't know them. Don't know them. Somebody I know, it was, uh, which is awesome. Praise God to see the church growing like that and to see new faces and new people. And man, I'm excited to be back with you now. Um, it's like putting on like an old sweatshirt to come back into this place. And it's cozy and it's comfortable and it's familiar. And I have just, we've only been here for, I don't know at this point, like 48 hours, maybe less than 48 hours, I guess, 36 or so. And uh, it's just been, it's been filling um, for us. You know, part of being in a new place and on the mission field and that kind of reality is like, it's, it can be draining and this has just been super filling. So I just want to give you a quick update first and then we'll get into the text. Um, Brooke and Ainsley are in Phoenix at a concert with other moms and daughters, friends that they've made there in Durango. I've got the four boys here. Jude's back in class, and I've got the other three. Um, Our kids are doing great. They've made great friends, just huge answers to your all's prayers. And as I say this, I'm not just giving you random facts. I'm giving you the answer to prayer that you all have prayed since even before we left. And so I want you to hear it and receive it as that. If you receive it as anything else and just good news, shame. Look at this and hear what I say and say, wow, man, the Lord is good. Our kids have friends. They've gotten involved in their schools. Trip is at Durango High School with Ainsley. They are a light in a very dark school. He is an FCA leader at the school as a freshman. Ainsley is the same as a junior. Our, Oliver is number four out of 16 on the high-speed mountain biking team that he joined down there, and he's crushing it. Seth is still blowing away in gymnastics and is the best gymnast on his team at Durango. He took that skill straight from here in Fort Collins. Jude, best soccer player on his little soccer team that we just had and started a club at their little school called the Missionary Team um, with some buddies of his. And so super cool things going, going on with us right now. And as Brandon referenced, I do want to give you just a couple, a couple cool stories. Ainsley has started a little Bible study. She's taking a dual credit class at Fort Lewis College, and just a cool thing. We were like, Lord, we have no way to reach this campus, no way to reach the campus, no way to reach the campus. Ainsley just randomly comes home one day. and is like, Dad, I've got four girls that want to study Philippians with me. And I was like, what? And I felt, I was like, sorry, Lord. My daughter, she's there for part of the day. And that's a super cool, super cool thing. Um, Eli Williams gave his testimony in front of a couple hundred people at the Fields of Faith for FCA, and it was the, if I'm being really candid, it was the only thing of the fields of faith that really honored the Lord. There was a lot of talk and a lot of singing, but very little gospel. And then Eli gets up there and just drops the gospel hammer on all of these people. And it was awesome. Um, Ayla is all conference for cross country. Um, Josh and Maeve are meeting everybody, which doesn't surprise anybody. And Maeve has 10,000 people that she has phone numbers for. Same for Josh and Jenya. AJ Mondello's made some buddies at the climbing gym where he goes and and it overcame his injury. Thank you all for your prayers for that too. He is back full bore at work and climbing again, which I was like, are you released to do that? And he was like, I got to do it. I can't wait any longer. Um, So that's a cool thing. A couple other cool things. Last week, Brooke goes to take Ainsley to the dentist, the doctor. We, we had read, we'd heard that, oh, people had said, oh, you're from Kentucky originally. I went to UK. And then somebody said, well, you know, the pediatrician in Mercy is a UK grad. Brooke takes Ainsley there. They, Brooke's like, I heard there's a UK grad here. And this doctor comes walking out and Brooke's like, hey, go cats. And the lady says, are you Brooke? Brooke's like, 
Yes, I'm Brooke. Brooke Sampson, your husband's buddy? She's like, yeah. You're starting Overland Church? Brooke's like, yes, yes. She's like, oh my gosh, finally get to meet you. I have a friend back in Shelbyville, Kentucky, who your best friend takes their kids there, and they told us about your church plant, and we've been like hoping we would be able to find you guys, and we want to know what's going on and be a part of what you're doing. You all have heard the story about the superintendent, most of you, that I worked with her in Kentucky. She's on our launch team. She and her husband have come to all our Bible studies. They're a part of what we're doing there. I, at my birthday party, Brooke through the city planner, who we were hoping to connect with to find out about needs in Durango, is at my birthday party. I don't even know the guy, and, and um, his name's Scott Shine. He's a believer, and he's the city planner. And here's what I'm saying. The Lord is at work in Durango in just a remarkable way. And we are just coming alongside the Lord's work. Overland Church Durango that you all sent isn't a new work. It's just a piece of the Lord's puzzle in in that community. And it is becoming so evident to us. And I'm going to say one thing. You're going to be like, wait, this is puzzling. People are excited that we are there. And that probably sounds like a contradiction for a place that is adamantly opposed to the gospel. Um, where Purgatory Ski Resort is, and the River of Lost Souls runs through the city, and the Durango High School demons have their mascots all over, and, and the Mana Soup Kitchen that's lost its evangelical affiliation, and the Crisis Pregnancy Center that no longer is explicitly Christian. That's the place where we are, and people are excited that we're there because the Lord is good, and because the Lord has a plan and a purpose, and He is intending to carry it out, and we are just getting to be blessed by seeing it unfold before our eyes. In fact, the best illustration I can give you, because if I was here two months ago, you'd be, I would say, here's our timeline. We're going to try to launch church in September of 2024. Well, have you ever like been in the ocean um, and you're playing in the waves and it's like, it's fun. And then all of a sudden there's the wave that you're like, oh, 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 wasn't expecting that. And then all of a sudden it's not as fun. Anybody ever had that experience? If not, you guys got to get to the beach more because um, it's like a, just a part of like fun adrenaline. That has been our experience. It's like, hey, we're seeing this little movement. It's growing. This is happening. Oh, we got this. And then it was like tidal wave. Um, and it was through the students. And it was through young people. And, it, I, and I'm going to leave you with this on Durango, and then we're going to change our attention here to, to the Bible. Um, it is one thing to know there is a need for this community to have the Bible preached to them. It is another thing to hear it directly from the mouths of 15 and 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds. And that was a remarkable shift for us where we thought, wait a second, and it's through FCA where we have these connections. These kids don't know the Bible, and they don't hear the Bible, and they're asking to know and hear the Bible. We got to do something. And so Trek has launched 27 students, unique students in our middle and high school group right now. I expect that, and I'm being dead serious. I'm not just praying it. I'm expecting it to double in size over the next um, couple of months. And so... The Lord is good, and we're begging God, let us reach those families through those kids. And I believe he is already doing it, and he will do it. And so thank you all. Um, be praying for us. I, I know I've heard from some of you like, hey, we feel like we don't really know what's going on down there. And I'll just take responsibility for the fact that I am really bad at like, keeping up with people in my life in general. I mean, call my mom and ask her. Um, call my grandmother. Call my brother. You can hear it from everybody in my life. It's, it's been a problem for me, and so I apologize for not doing a better job. But... Two months ago's newsletter is already wrong, anyways, because the Lord's like, nope, changing your timeline here. And so we anticipate launching in on, on Easter Sunday of 2024. So keep that in your prayers. Now, most importantly, let's move into the text and let's just start here. The mission statement of this church is the same as ours in Durango. We glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ and making disciples who serve their communities and multiply to the nations. 
And that is our mission statement as well. And I'm going to use that mission statement to jump into our text, which is Psalm 67. Now, as you're opening your Bible there, and I'm asking you to do it, um, same thing I tell the FCA kids. If you don't have your Bible and you're not looking at the text, you don't know if I'm lying as I'm talking to you. So you better have that book in your lap and be able to vent what I'm saying through the reality of that text or your phone or whatever. Like, it's funny, I'm trying to convince these high school kids in Durango to use this ESV Crossway Study Bible. You know, the one I pitched to you all and have for like years? <laughs> Same thing. I'm still the ESV Study Bible, like pseudo salesman down there with no commission. Um, but it's like, they're not used to holding the Bible. I've never seen, like, everybody just has their phone. And, and I've got to get them away from that. And I don't want to be old fogey, 43-year-old buddy, but that, I mean, I just don't think that's the right way to, to, to pay attention to the text. So, I mean, when you're studying. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the earth, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So, from here, we're going to focus on half of one verse. Now, I have never preached like this in my life, and this could be a huge bust at the end, and I welcome your feedback. Um, We're going to focus on one half of one verse, and it's verse 4. It says, let the nations be glad. Um, When I came up and said, this is the day that the Lord has made, you said, let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord desires the gladness of the nations. And so I just want to focus on this passage, and we are going to break down the the five words, and and I think that matters. Um, Before I even start, let me just say this right off the bat. This is the inerrant, inspired word of God. Inerrant in its original manuscripts, inspired and infallible for us as it exists in our English text today, for us to know who God is and if, if that's true, that that's what this book is, then every word matters. There's no word out of place. There's no word there that doesn't belong there. There's no word missing. And if that's true, then we should pay attention to words. In fact, I'm convinced that um, a lot of the theological um, diminishment in the contemporary culture is because we've gone straight to thinking about what this probably means instead of really stepping through the text to pick apart what it means and let the Lord reveal deep things to us. So I want to do that today, and we're going to do it for just a few minutes here. Um, And I, listen, my first day at FCA, this lady, and gosh, those of you that know me, the leader said, hey, would you be willing to preach on the introduction to Philippians and like the historical literary context? And I was like, I would love to do that. She goes, okay, I've got like, like about five to 10 minutes allotted for that. I have never talked about anything in my life for five or 10 minutes. If you ask me where I got my shoes, it will be 15 minutes for me to ultimately come around to how Facebook got me. I saw him on Josh Wisdom's feet, and I'll tell you the whole story. But it's not going to be five or 10 minutes. It's impossible. So I'm going to do my best to do these five words in a realistic time frame here, and we'll hope we can stick with it. So the first word is let. And just, just look at the text there. Look at it. Let the nations be glad. Let the nations be glad. Now, um... My family, we tend to do a lot of wrestling. We haven't wrestled as much since we moved to Durango, and we probably need to bring that back into our world, except trips gotten so big, I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous about it. But when we wrestle, this is usually the common thing. Let me go. Let me go. Um, this expression of let implies an allowance, right? Allow this to happen. Let 
me go. Um, Parents, you should say to your kids, give it to me, not let me have it. There's a difference in those words. One of them is asking for allowance for you to have the thing, and rather you should say, give it to me, because you're not asking your kid for allowance or permission. And so let, that word, matters because it is assuming a degree of responsibility for this. God, let the nations be glad. So the attention is immediately turned to God, that the gladness of the nations, whatever that is, is God's to do, and that he is sovereign over the gladness of the nations. He is responsible. He is authoritative. He can, or can, he can choose or not choose to let the nations be glad. And we ask for it as we pray to him. The word let, as simple as it is, is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. And so I ask you, just on this first word, do you pray like that? Do your prayers from your heart ask God to do something mighty? Ask God, let my brother conquer this addiction. That was a huge prayer of mine. Let God, let him You have the ability, do it, Lord, and the Lord has done it. God, let my father-in-law recover from COVID. He didn't. He passed away. God, let, these should be the posture of our prayer, trusting the sovereignty of God. But the word let matters because it is saying, you, Lord, will you do this thing? I'm going to move right down. The, never thought I would preach like a section on the, but I'm going to do it here. The nations. I looked at a few things, and Jed could maybe give me some info from out there somewhere. There he is. Every time I bring up the Old Testament, I'm like, is Jed in here to correct what I'm about to say? Just kidding, Jed. The nations is definite in the Hebrew text. And you know, the word the matters, because if it just said, let nations be glad, well, then that could be like some. If it said, let some nations be glad, But it says, the nations, definite article, plural, all of them, all of them. Now, listen, you guys, whether you realize it or not, growing up in this culture, when you hear nations, you have a totally different understanding than what the text implies by nation. Nations isn't like countries. That's the way that we tend to think of it. Nations are are, are bigger. They're people groups. So when we say the nations, we're talking about all the peoples, okay? Let the peoples, all of them, none are to be excluded When we pray this and we ask this from God, this means totally inclusive, all. And so at the same moment that we're praying that prayer, we should have to start thinking in our brains about the nations that have been excluded, even to this point, right? Because that's that's problematic. If it's the gladness of all the nations, whatever gladness is, and we'll get to that, it's not some. It's not ours merely. It does include ours, our people, but it is bigger than that. So let's jump down to the next one, and now we're going to slow pace this just a little bit. The nations. Nations are not countries. They are people groups. This word nations, and we see it in the Greek, it's ethnos. In the Hebrew, it's just kidding. I can't, I'm not going to try to say it in Hebrew. I haven't taken Hebrew. In fact, I am resisting going back to seminary because of not wanting to take Hebrew. Um, And so I don't know the word, but the word means the peoples, the people groups. The, the individuals, and you have to think about when the time frame when this was written, and you had multiple people groups outside of the Jewish religion. Now, they called them Gentiles. This is what it became called, was the non-Jews, the non-Israelites, essentially, became the Gentiles, but they are all individual people groups. In fact, there are 
7,253 known people groups who have never heard of Jesus. 7,253 known people groups that are not glad, that haven't even had the chance to be glad. And if we are asking God in this psalm, let the nations, the peoples, all of them be glad, God is he's doing a lot of theological declarations in that statement that, first of all, the, the Messiah and salvation and the people of God were not limited to the Jews. That there was, from the beginning, the plan that this that through Abraham, Abraham would be a blessing to all families and that the gospel would go to the Gentiles and go to all the peoples, not just the Jews. So there's that whole thing. But that's not what I think matters for us right now. What matters for us right now is do we feel a burden for the gladness of 7,253 known unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a lot. In fact, while we're sitting here, I'm going to ask you to do something as I keep talking over you. I want you to get your phone out. And if you can, I want you to go to the app store and I want you to download the Joshua Project app on your phone, even while I'm talking. If you can't right now, then do it at the end of the service. If you're one of those people that's smart and leaves your phone in your car during church, good for you. Um, but I want you to download this app. This it is a, it's a Christian ministry that identifies people groups on this app, gives you a history of the people group, tells you exactly how to pray for this people group, and even goes so far as to say, here is our ways to bridge the gospel to these peoples. And it's a phenomenal app. And I highly recommend that you have it. It gives you a new people group every day to pray for. Pops up on there and you can, you can pray for a, a people group there. So I, rec- I recommend that you consider that. You know, when, when Brooke and I were in Thailand, um, we went on a mission trip there. And well, let me, let me, let me back this up. <laughs> Before we went on a mission trip there, when we got saved, because Brooke and I were in our 30s when the light of the gospel came clear, and particularly what are often referred to as the doctrines of grace, and this idea that God did it for me, and I did nothing, and I didn't deserve it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It hit Brooke like a ton of bricks, and then the zeal just consumed us. And, okay, I'm going to show, I mean, it, I mean, consumed us. We were like, where are we going in the world? We're going to die anyways. Let's die somewhere not Frankfort, Kentucky. Where are we going to go? Where is the gospel needed? And we're going. And, and unbiblically, we said, we're not even going to consult the church at this moment. We were like, online, Joshua, people groups, jobs in those areas. And we found a job at a Christian international school in Thailand. And I applied for this job to be the superintendent um, because I was a principal in Kentucky at the time. And, I'm, and I, there's like 50 applicants and I get the job. And I'm like, we're going to Thailand. And then the Lord shut the door on that. And I was really confused. And I was like, we did, I mean, we're ready to go. They're not, they're not going to know in the Nan province. How are they going to know if somebody doesn't go tell them? The zeal had kind of consumed us. Later we would learn the mission should be carried out through the church. Like that's, I should have gone to, well, I should have been in a better church. Um, got to a better church. Praise God, Dr. York and Zach and everything else, right? Obviously, yeah, hence the reason I'm standing before you today. And watch the Lord knit that, knit that whole thing together. But the zeal was, on one hand, appropriate, but then maybe misdirected. But a concern for the unreached has never worn off for me. It's not worn off for Brooke. Our family still feels a weight and a burden for the fact that there are large swaths of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and there are great missions. You support it as this church. Your giving to this church literally supports sending people into the hardest places in the earth to proclaim the gospel, and they will likely die there. Likely die there. And your money sends people there. And if there's a part of you like, that feels a little strange, then let me continue. Last thing before I navigate away from the nations. What's happening in Israel right now, and I know everybody is aware, um, we as Christians need to be very careful. We need to be careful that the author of our perspective is not socio-political or geopolitical. It can't be policy that we focus on. For the nations, the nation's gladness include the Gaza Strip and Israel. And the only gladness, and we'll come to this, that is a solution for this is not geopolitical. It is the gospel. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in both camps, we should be desperately... There are Christian missionaries that you support right now in both places. And that's a wonderful, beautiful, and terrifying thing. But I think that it matters that we, as we approach this, what the, who the nations are, there's two, two areas I think that directly impact our life here in the front range, particularly your life, even more so maybe than mine. The Israel-Hamas thing is a real thing. Do we desire for Israel to extinguish Hamas? We do. Do we also desire that Hamas would know Jesus Christ and be saved and repent? We do. These things are not at odds with one another, and we should see it through that perspective that Jesus is the solution to this above everything else. The other thing is the the significant border crossing that is bringing many people into our communities who are unknown, who are, and have, in, have created some problems in the country. How does a Christian approach that when the nations are walking into your, through your back door? Does the Christian desire a safe border? We should. Should the Christian also recognize that at this moment in time, those are the nations coming to you? We should. We should. We should see that the sovereignty of God God is not sovereign over everything except for the southern border of the United States of America. Okay? He's sovereign. And if he is, we can say on the one hand, Lord, we need, this, is, this has dangerous implications. And on the other hand, say, Lord, will you help me reach these people that are showing up in my community? I was in, in um, we were at church and Ainsley and I were there. This was a couple of years ago. We went to church. Oh, it was just two summers ago in Hilton Head Island. We were there with my family for vacation, and we were listening to this. this they had a guest preacher at the First Baptist Church in Hilton Head. Has anybody ever been there out of curiosity? It's a beautiful church. First, Oh, sweet. And it's beautiful. And there's these, these folks are in there, and the guy gets up there, and he goes, Well, guys, the preacher, it's tourist season. And everybody's like, huh? <laughs> He's like, traffic's about to get worse, and the stores are about to start running out of groceries. Yep, everybody's not along. He goes, and you'll sit here and complain about it instead of recognizing that the Lord is going to bring a million unique people right through your backyard to learn about Jesus. And I watched these people like, whoo. It was an awesome moment. Ainsley was like, whoo. It was, it, was, it was awesome. But that ought to be all of our perspective. When it comes to the nations, that, when it comes to the people, let us be aware that the Lord has a way that he intends to bring all of the nations, the nations, Gladness. In fact, we even read in Revelation that there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne. And if that's true, then that means that the people that haven't heard it yet will hear it. And so let us pray to that end. The nations are the people. Next. B. To be. Let the nations 
Be glad. Do you know how most people will read this text? Let the nations feel glad. Be is a state of being. I know you're not supposed to use the word in the definition. It is a state. It is a state of existence. Let the nations be glad. Not feel glad. I, this is really going to make me look like a boomer. I am really convinced that the single greatest deception that Satan is using right now, we know that the word Satan, Satanos, literally means to deceive or liar, is that he is convincing particularly our young people to believe that their feelings are who they are. That their feelings should be the ultimate governor of their decisions, even of worse things, of their identity. I feel this way, therefore I am. And the Bible is radically opposed to that reality. In fact, and, and let me be careful here because I have, I have tended to step on toes talking about this, particularly my wife and my daughter's toes. Feelings are real. Please don't hear me saying your feelings are fake. Feelings are real. You're, when you feel hurt, it is real. When you feel ashamed, it is real. When you feel guilty, it is real. These are real feelings. They're not fake, but they're not your authority. And so we're called to take these things captive to Jesus Christ. We take it captive to what this book says. And guys, without going all the way down into my own personal life, like to a fault, 2020 was the worst year of my life. And it was because of sin in my life and because of tremendous amounts of, of childhood stuff that had created in me a belief that who I was is how people out there, particularly my family, felt about me. Their perception of me is me. And it took some legitimate year-long counseling to unravel who I am. And the whole point was, and this, this counselor I went to was awesome, and his whole thing was like, you're who, you're in Christ. I know, I know. Well, if you're in Christ, this is your identity. This is who you are. Free. Liberated. Loved. This is who you are. And you'll still mess up, but you're liberated from it. No more shame. No more guilt. You're free. And this is what we should desire, particularly for our young people who are being led into decision-making, some of which come at exceptionally harmful costs when we think about the sexual revolution and transgenderism and these things. And we have to recognize, we have to be willing to acknowledge, and let me say this to you boldly and bluntly, Christian, if your posture towards people struggling with their identity, particularly their sexual identity, is not one of love, shame on you. We don't look at an individual who is suffering and say, they're ridiculous. We should look at it and say, poor thing. And there is a difference. Now, that doesn't mean we look at the institutions that are pushing or forcing this and say, poor thing. That's not what I mean at all. I'm talking about the individual. This is the posture that we have to hold. And what they need more than anything in the world is an acknowledgement of, I understand how you're feeling about this, but I feel a lot of ways too that are sinful. A lot. In fact, most of my day. And I don't let that determine who I am, let alone what I'm going to do. I can't let that happen. And when I do do it, and I do it all the time, I mean, when I snap at my kids, I mean, Tripp's driving now, and he's a great driver. He's a great driver. But every now and then, he tends towards away from the middle of the road, and there are no shoulders where we live, and I'm in the passenger seat like 
Like, we are so close to the ditch. Uh, and, I, and I ultimately went up being like, Trevor, you got to get back to the middle of the road a little bit. And then when it happens a second time, my tone changes and I get blunt and maybe a little bit insulting. And then I have to repent and be like, sorry. I've actually had to text trip a few times this school year after he gets to school and I've dropped him off and be like, sorry for how I talked to you in the car today. And he's like, love you, dad, no problem. <laughs> and it's a, but it's true. I, every, every, my feelings will govern my teaching in, the, in traffic. And that's just this big, it's this big. We have people in our lives, people that we love who are dealing with so much more because they are worried about feeling a thing and not being the thing. And so I just, I call you to consider the being glad of the feelings is not merely a, a good feeling that they have. The being of glad is something deeper than that, something that will persevere and withstand when life is really challenging. So let's move down one more click here and we'll hit that. What is gladness? I, being pleased, being delighted, basic definition. God desires that the nations be in a state of gladness. This gladness comes from understanding who Jesus Christ is, understanding and believing that he died on the cross for sin, for individual sins, every individual sins, not just mankind, but individuals. He died for sin. He rose from the dead. On the third day, we just sang it. He ascended to the, and ultimately ascended to the Father and that we have had our shame, our guilt, and not just the shame and guilt, those words unfortunately corrupt what the gospel really is because those are products of sin. And we say Jesus died for shame and guilt. No, he died for sin from which shame and guilt come. And he died for sin that we might be imputed with his righteousness and live. That is where gladness, deep-rooted gladness comes from. God does not want the nations to be happy. He wants them to be glad. Now, does happiness spill out of a deep-rooted gladness? I will tell you firsthand, yes. And I think I know people in this church right now who I admire their spiritual wisdom and maturity because when life does this, they are very even keel. They're positive. They are gentle. When you talk to somebody who's going through the throes of cancer or is going through a, a child in real rebellion or is going through being made fun of at school and they have this mentality of like, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes, but you know, God's, God's good. That is a mark of gladness. And that's what the Lord desires for each of you and for the nations ultimately. Um, so I ask you to consider, would your, because I'm, I'm, I'm a husband and father, husbands, would your wife say my husband's glad? He lives in a state of gladness. Would, would, would your children say that about you? Wives, would your husband say that about you? You just, you're just a gladness about you? Because I believe the Lord desires that from us. I believe he desires us in Christian relationship to be rooted in gladness. Let the nations be glad. You know where that starts? Your heart. It starts there. Forget about Thailand for a minute. What about you? What about your own heart? How do you, would you say, man, my experience and my reality is marked by a gladness in Jesus Christ because he did what I could not do and has made me alive and I will end up in glory with him, but that is not the ultimate aim of your salvation. 
And now I'm going to start stepping on people's toes for just a second. At a a meeting of the Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood to argue for the value of overseas missions. He was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you. That was William Carey, who had become the father of Protestant missions. Okay? You hear the problem there. The the Lord will do it. And William Carey's like, well, but the Lord has given it to me to do. We unfortunately have created versions of Christianity where there is like, I'm a a basic Christian. You know, I'm a fairly obedient Christian, and I try to live my life for Jesus and tell my neighbors and friends. And then I'm a missionary for the sake of the gospel. And these levels just don't exist in Scripture. There's one Christian... And it's the Christian who has been saved by grace through faith in order that the nations would praise and revel in God. Ready? Here comes the... Your salvation was not ultimately for your sake. It was penultimately for your sake, and it was ultimately for God's glory and that the nations would praise him. That is why you were saved. If your entire... If, I'm going I'm to put Trip on the spot. What's it called when your faith is at this, when you are at the center of your faith? Do you remember? From, from Trek? The big, a close, great, she's trying to get it. Anthropocentrism and some form, why didn't my seventh grader know this? You know, guys, I'm failing. Anthropocentrism, man at the center. Some form of moralistic therapeutic deism is the reality of your Christian faith. If at the end of the day, you believe your salvation was for your sake and not the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and advancing in your home, in your cul-de-sac, in your little community, in your work, and beyond. This is what salvation happened for, that God would be just and the justifier of those who would believe in Jesus Christ and that the praise of his glory would emanate from vessels of mercy. This is what you were saved for. I'm going to contrast that William Carey story with this one. John Allen Cho, Chow, they just made a documentary about this guy, and I haven't seen it yet, called The Mission, I believe. And it's about a young man, 26 years old, in 2018. He paddled over to North Sentinel Island off the coast of India with a soccer ball and a Bible, and he wanted to tell him the gospel. And he, before he gets out of his boat, I'm pretty sure he gets arrowed to death. In fact, everybody who has tried to go and take the gospel to this particular island gets arrowed to death. No one's been able to reach him because they die before they get a chance. It's a two-square-mile island. It's tiny, Okay. He did this, and one of the first things that happened where people came out in the Christian woodwork and said, shame on this guy. What was he thinking was going to happen? Everybody that goes over there gets arrowed. And you read his letter, and the point of his letter was essentially, God is worth my death. Do I think what he did was wise? I don't. I think that the church and the mission can be very strategic, especially with what we have now. God has given us every tool necessary to get into the hardest places and people to hear the gospel. We have it. There's nothing lacking between technology and airplanes and everything else. We have every tool we need to do it. And there are, there are strategies to do it. But is it fair to be critical of him if we sit on our couch and we don't tell our next door neighbor about Jesus? I don't think that it is. And I think for most of us in the context of our Christian walk, 
Evangelism is very minimal. The nation's gladness rests on other people, people that are willing to pick up and move to Durango. That, you know, that's who the Lord wants to use. No, no. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. He was sovereign over your birth, and you were born into this culture, into this moment, into this time, for the sake of his name, period. None of you chose it. He did for his namesake. So I'm asking you to consider, if you have not believed the gospel at this moment, let me, let me tie something together here. If you've not believed the gospel, you are not glad. You have the facade of happiness. You, and I'm, I'm speaking to the person who thinks they're fine, like life's pretty good. I got Horse Tooth Reservoir right there in the rock. We miss it. We miss the reservoir. There's some good reservoirs in Durango, but it, man, we miss the cliffs, jumping the cliffs, which is illegal. Don't jump the cliffs. Every time I bring that up, I forget that I don't want to stand at the pulpit and tell people to break the law. Don't jump the cliffs. But if you do want to jump the cliffs, let me know and I'll tell you where to go. I miss it. I do. I miss those things. I miss that reality. Here's what I want you to see, though. That's not, that's not, hap- that's not gladness. God is the only being in the universe where you're trusting him for salvation, repenting of sin, and aligning your life with his desire will bring you ultimate gladness. The only being who can say, do what I say, and you say, yes, sir, and it will only be what's best for you, period. God works all things together for good for those who are, love him and are what? Called according to his what? Purpose. All things for good for those who love him and are called according to the purpose. Do you know that there's no other group of believers? There are not those that just love him and then those that are called according to his purpose? No. The calling was for the sake of his purpose, And so if you have not trusted Christ, I I call you today to repent and say, I want a life of ultimate gladness and I want to be done with this pattern of sin in my life. You cannot fix it. You cannot do enough good to erase that sin. Rather, you come to the cross and say, I've got nothing. Forgive me, Lord. I'm a sinner. It's all you can say. It's all you can do. And he will receive you for that. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, I'm asking you to consider that when people uproot their life for the sake of the gospel, he, God has different plans for everybody. If everybody here was like, we're going to the nations, well, then this church would be dead tomorrow, right? That's not what I'm calling you to do. I am calling you to consider how the Lord wants to use you for the sake of his name. His purpose is that the nations would be glad and praise him. That is his ultimate purpose. Some of you know the Hancocks are joining us in Durango. They announced this at the, at the last um, family meeting. I know some of you did not know it, which means this church has now given away more than half of the leadership that were a part of this church. And that's scary. And I know Zach's talked about this at family meeting a little bit. And what I'm calling you to do is consider right now what gaps have been left that you will fill in right here And then I'm asking you to go to your knees in prayer and pray for our church plan in Durango daily. And then I'm asking you to go to your knees in prayer at least weekly and pray for the nations. Download the Joshua Project app, talk to your kids about it, and pray that the gospel would make it to the nations because there's one primary reason, and it's not that people are going to perish in hell. They are if we don't take the gospel to them, but that's not the ultimate reason. God is worthy of their worship. He is worthy to be worshiped. He is worthy to be praised. Worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. He is worthy, and therefore we give our lives to that end because it's short. We snap our fingers, and we're in glory or not. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, I thank you for your word, God. I just, I, I thank you that you did not leave us wondering, wondering what our Christian walk would be, um, sorting out what your purpose is, Father. I know we gather here together and there are multiple lives and minds and experiences, God, that come in and are shaping our life. And yet we wonder sometimes, what, what is your will, Father? What is your will for me, Father? What do you want from me? And God, I, I just ask you to give a peace to this congregation. I ask that you would give everyone here as they participate in what this church is doing, as they join Bible studies, community groups, they come and sit in church, they read, they study discipleship groups, trek. God, I, I pray that they would see your intent is that they have the revealed will in the palm of their hands and that they ought not pursue the mystery for their specific life, but rather see what you have called us to in your word and that it, it isn't sacrificial. God doesn't say give up your life and adopt this because and just take the consequences of it all. He says whatever you give up on this side of glory, you'll receive a hundredfold, God, that we store up treasure in heaven. And, and so I just pray this church will be full of people who want to give their life for the sake of the name of God, for the, for the sake of the worship among the nations, Father. I, God, I pray for Zach. I pray for Zach as he, as the primary leader who bears the weight of trying to fill in holes and ensure that the church moves on like the well-oiled machine that it has largely become in ways, Father. I, God, I just, I pray that you would bless him. I pray you would give him great clarity and discernment about it, God. But I pray that you give him so many people desiring to pick up the slack that he feels overwhelmed with opportunity to see not only the church sustain in this given moment, but grow and expand, God, um, not just to the community of Fort Collins, but to the nations. God, we love you and we praise you. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.